This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey there. This year, Dune Part 2 concludes a spectacle-filled film adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune novel. This isn't the only time, however, that the first book in the series, originally published in 1965, has made the journey to the screen. In her new book, Adaptations of Dune, Frank Herbert's story on screen, Dr. Kara Kennedy explores the three different versions so far that have brought this timeless story to life on the big and small screen. The 1984 version, Sci-Fi Channel's miniseries, and most recently, of course, Dune Part 1. And we're thrilled that Kara uh, is joining us again for today's show. This is Marcus, your editor at dunenewsnet.com, and I'm with a full house of Dune and movie experts today. Hey, you guys, really excited to talk to Dr. Kara Kennedy today. She knows her stuff. She knows Dune inside and out. And I love that we're going to dig into the, all the adaptations and our perceptions and details around that. So really excited. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone, again, for tuning in. Johnny Sobchak here, as always. And yes, the doctor is in today. I'm excited to uh, have a more in-depth discussion looking back at some of these adaptations uh, with Kara. And I think that's going to be a fun and for me, especially someone who isn't as familiar with these, um, and at least doesn't have the history with them, I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks for being here. Hi, Mark from Dune Info here. Uh, great to be back. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation. I've enjoyed Cara's other books and uh, articles. Uh, so really excited to dive into her new latest work. Yeah, so as mentioned, Cara uh, is our returning special guest. Uh, these past years, she's written prolifically in the topic of Dune. Uh, that includes those two academic books, uh, Women's Agency in the Dune Universe and Frank Herbert's Dune, A Critical Companion, in addition to many articles and essays. Um, Kara, welcome back to Dune Talk. It's been some time since your last appearance, so I wanted to give you another opportunity to uh, tell all our new viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Um, hello, everyone. So I'm Kara. I am all branded as a Dune scholar. I'm an independent researcher and writer, and I've been studying and writing about Dune since my undergrad years, so quite a while now. This is going to be my third book on Dune. My first one was based on my PhD dissertation, which focused on the representation of women in the original six books, six books Dune series, and I focused on the Bene Gesserit women. And then my second book was The Critical Companion to Dune, which was more of a general overview. And I've also written books and artic articles and book chapters on the same topics, as well as things like world building, Middle Eastern influences, and spice and ecology. And I'm all about making my work more accessible outside of the academic sphere. And the great thing about Dune is it's a gift that keeps on giving. So there's always new things to write about. And so this is my foray into looking at the adaptations. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Let's dive into Adaptations of Dune. Um, Kara, in the acknowledgments, you mentioned that writing adaptations of Dune led you to step outside your comfort zone of literary analysis. What made you to decide to move forward with this project and what can readers expect from to find when they're reading your book? So with all the new films and the other projects that have been announced recently, that really drove me to want to contribute my perspective to these adaptations, as I know myself and many other people care really deeply about the book. And so after have, having written two books, I felt more confident about branching out into a new area. And another um, good part about being an independent scholar is that I don't have the same restrictions in academia that kind of make it more challenging to go outside of your lane, so to speak. So 
I'm not a film studies scholar per se, but I've taken an angle with this book that connects with the text, but also looks at these more popular genres of film and TV. Because a lot of people um, don't get around to reading, but they are consuming a lot of science fiction. So I wanted to reach them. And there's also very little to no scholarly research on these adaptations. And so I saw a gap there that I wanted to fill with all of these new and, and old bands that are discovering Dune or rediscovering Dune. And so with this book, essentially, it's an analysis of each of these three adaptations of Dune from the perspective of how faithful they are to the features in the book. So things like story, script, setting, characters. And I also thought it was important to contextualize each, each of the adaptations within its time period and what was going on with the production. So I summarize the background information and context before getting into the analysis to kind of provide a full picture for people that maybe don't know much about the production of each of them. i uh, wondering what your process was for researching and locating all the information used in the book, especially for the older adaptations. Some of the books and articles were, are well known, but some were new even to me, and I have got a, a massive journal library. Um, also, uh, given the amount of information, just how long did it take you to read it all? Yeah, great question. So I first treated it like what's comfortable for me, which is treat it like an academic study. So I read the academic journal articles and there's are a few books available. But seeing how little had been written in that kind of area, I really had to venture further and start looking at less traditional sources. So things like magazines, newspapers, websites. And I found that the pre-internet time period, so the 80s, even up until the miniseries, was challenging because it took more effort to locate sources. And a lot of that material isn't digitized or it's not keyword searchable. So if you find a copy, you have to read it on the old-fashioned way. And I also relied on uh, a Dune collector named Brad Sargent. And he had a lot of copies of rare out-of-print uh, sources, especially from the 1980s. And so I was really fortunate to have access to his collection because it gave me more angles to look at in terms of my analysis. But it did take a while to read and annotate all of the sources. I will say I'm a fast reader, but there was a lot to go through in a lot of different places and pulling it all together in a coherent way was enriching, but also really challenging. And that was mostly for the background sections, trying to put everything together in a, in a context for people because there was, wasn't really much analysis from other people for the main sections of the book. And in addition to all the textual resources, of course, I was re-watching the films uh, multiple times. So yeah, there was a lot to go through. Um, and I'm sure there's some sources that I didn't have access to, but you can always find those in the future if there's anything to add. All right, so I was fortunate to be able to uh, study the section uh, done by David Lynch um, and I, I just was amazed uh, at how thorough, Kara, that you were in this section. Uh, you, you really started from the ground floor and you went all the way into the, the complexity uh, of this adaptation and the production and all those involved. And uh, I love how you, you made it possible for someone who wasn't even born at the time this movie came out and, and could have really gotten up to speed very quickly and you gave so many different angles. Uh, really was a was a great experience for me i was 14 year old 14 years old when this movie came out i i knew it was coming out i went to the theater with my with my friends and and uh and so just being able to get a lot of 
further detail and and uh, perspectives uh, on on this adaptation was was actually I, I I may surprise you by saying this, but it was kind of an emotional experience for me because I remember a lot of these feelings of of seeing this film on the big screen, and then it was not very well received by the press, and and so I had kind of all these mixed feelings about it. Uh, but my first question is um, Lynch's Dune is, is the only um, completed adaptation that had the benefit of direct involvement uh, from, from the author, Frank Herbert. From your perspective, what more, if anything, could, could Frank Herbert have done to try to influence the movie's production to make it a better experience for general audiences? That was an interesting component of this film because you might think that because Frank Herbert was alive during that film that it would be very faithful to the book. But there were a lot of issues during production um, that I summarize in the book. And I don't think Herbert had a lot of control over that production process. But in terms of what maybe he could have done, had things been different, I think he could have pushed back more on David Lynch's desire to spend so much time and so much resources on those weird and quirky elements like the Guild Navigator. And he really made the Harkin in very outrageous characters. And there's lots of animal elements that he was into. I think maybe Herbert could have pointed out that those were starting to outshine the Atreides characters. And, and often what people remember from the film is the Harkonnen. Um, not so much the Atreides, which is interesting for, you know, who's supposed to be the protagonist of the story. And I think Herbert probably had opinions about what they were, what Lynch was doing to the Bene Gesserit in terms of making them telepathic, which is a common misreading of, of their abilities. And they don't really do that much in the film, which is a disappointment to me. And I would love to know what Herbert thought about the Fremen and how they were depicted. And, and maybe he, could have and maybe he did but you know voice some more perspective about these are really important groups in, in the novel kind of why are they being sort of pushed to the side in the film and that might have made it a little bit better for audiences instead of kind of going off on the on the tracks that lynch took it yeah thank you i just i'm amazed that <clears throat> this is this is herbert's baby he he knows it inside and out and yet I feel like, was there some missed opportunities for him, like you said, to push back and demand that some of these perspectives that I feel like Lynch was kind of missing or were avoiding uh, could have been addressed much better. So, yeah, thank you. Um, my other question is, um, I've actually met quite a few fans who actually prefer Lynch's Dune over Vilna's Dune. And this this surprised me and i wanted to know what what is your reaction to that yeah i think i think Lynch's dune is a love it or hate it movie and so you'll find people that are really devoted to it um it's often called a cult film i think part of the attraction of lynch's film is that like i talked about those strange weird elements make it memorable they don't work for everybody but some people really like them and i think Something unique about that one is the voiceovers. So Lynch stayed true to the book in terms of having those um, inner voices come out through the characters. And I think that helps audience members make a connection with those characters. And it feels more intimate having that 
access to what they're thinking. And there's also really lavish settings, you know, gold decor. And it, it has like a sense of personality, uh, I think, that the new film doesn't have. And so if we compare them with the new film, very visually impressive. But in terms of colors, very muted color palette, which was purposefully done. And it feels more rushed and distant than the Lynch film. And in terms of making that connection with the characters, I think it's harder to make an emotional connection with Paul and Jessica. And in terms of the villain, the villain's much more generic compared to Lynch's villain. And also the new film doesn't have as many linkages to the straight text of the book, where Lynch has a lot of lines taken directly word for word from Herbert's book. And so if that appeals to you, um, people might like that better than the new movie, which takes more um, a looser approach to the adaptation. And the first part of Lynch's film is quite faithful to the book. It's really about the production issues that, that cause the ending to be changed. And I think there's just a nostalgia for things that are older and that weirdness that Lynch brought to his first Hollywood film that people just kind of have that nostalgia factor for the old. Um, so that, that's what I think. Maybe you have a different perspective. No, no, I, I think you've, I think you've nailed it. I mean, there are elements of it that are absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so watching the first part of the first half of the film as a young teenager, I was just like, this is so amazing. I, I just felt like these visions of what I had read were coming to life. And then unfortunately the second half was, was really difficult. And so, but, uh, I, I think you've absolutely captured it, Kara. Uh, I just want to say one more thing before, before we switch to Johnny, I just talking about how it was kind of an emotional read for me. Um, when you talked about how in, uh, when, when, when they began writing and filming, uh, Lynch's Dune, um, that he was in Mexico. And obviously when, when a filmmaker, a, a director is involved, they have to set their family life aside. And you mentioned that his spouse at the time, uh, Mary Fisk gave birth to their first son, Austin, in, in, in 1982, and how this, um, and she had a 36-hour labor, and there were just some really challenging things in his personal life, and I had never heard that. I did not know that. Mark probably did, but I didn't know that, and I, I thought to myself, wow, can you imagine him wanting to bring this vision to life, struggling with personal life issues, and, and then having the movie not received well, that that must have been a really hard time in his life. He's revered as one of the great Hollywood directors, which he should be. But I just, that really kind of affected me that I didn't know he had to go through or he had gone through uh, something kind of a crucible as it were in his life during that time. And I'm not saying that's an excuse for anything or, or his, uh, you know, his creative choices, because I think he was probably able to express himself in the production uh, accurately, but I really liked that aspect that you brought out. That was really, uh, really helpful to me. So thank you. Can I, can I say that was a really, really late addition. I was looking, I was trying to fact check something else and I, cause I hadn't read his memoir, um, which only came out in 2018. So I think that's why that doesn't, that information doesn't appear elsewhere because he only, I think publicly revealed it quite, quite recently. I was fact-checking something else. And then I just started getting engrossed in the whole chapter where he's talking about the Dune experience. And 
And I debated whether to put that in because I think oftentimes we try to separate personal from professional. Um, um, easier, easier perhaps for men to do than for women. But I thought, yeah, I had a lot of, I had more sympathy for him when I was reading about what he was going through and, and the hardship that his spouse was going through and just thinking about what it would be like to have your first big Hollywood movie, a big budget and be in a foreign country with all of these things happening around you and, and not being able to watch your, your son, you know, all those kinds of things grow up. And, and I just thought that, I think that maybe is why it just pierced a really hard, the, the critical reaction to it. And I thought, well, I think this is important enough to put, put a little thing in there in the book about kind of just rounding out other things that were happening that maybe made it especially difficult that it wasn't received well after he sacrificed so much personally. Yeah. Well, thank you for putting that in. That added a lot from for, for my perspective. The next project marks the first adaptation for television, Frank Herbert's Dune, written and directed by John Harrison. This originally aired on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel in 2000, and it was uh, across three nights. A total runtime was four and a half hours. It's actually considered by, by many to be perhaps the most faithful adaptation of the novel, though ironically, perhaps due to TV being perceived as a lesser uh, medium, at least at that time, it also seems to be the most forgotten. Um, in, in Kara's uh, book, um, there are quotes from the director where he talked about television as an ideal format for adapting long and complex books. And a key aspect is that like less compression is needed from from story, especially compared with a single movie. With the cultural impact of um, stories or a series such as Game of Thrones in the past decade, I often wish that um, adaptations like Dune had indeed taken the route of adapting each book into a 10-episode uh, prestige series. Despite its uh, low budget, which arguably makes uh, John Harrison's adaptation a harder sell to viewers nowadays, at the time the miniseries was one of Sci-Fi Channel's most highly rated shows. It even won two primetime Emmy Awards. Given successes of you know several fancy and sci-fi series, as I mentioned, and uh, changing perceptions of the TV format, Kara, uh, how, how would you feel about Dune being approached as a series with more resources today? I would love that. I think absolutely this book would thrive in a miniseries format or a longer series format, with especially now with our computer graphics technology. Um, you could really do the sandworms justice and some of the other tech features. And I think it would give more time for thoughtful development of things like the Middle Eastern culture and the Fremen and avoid some of the stereotypes and the shortcuts that the, the film versions at least seem to be kind of wary of getting into. I think it could even, with a longer format, expand out things, uh, groups like the Fremen and what's happening in the Imperium without having to sacrifice key themes, like say about Paul's journeys and Messiah. Um, I think one of the challenges of, of film is that, especially in the last, say, 10, 15 years, is filmgoers have been increasingly conditioned to expect a certain kind of um, science fiction action movie, and at least from a Hollywood perspective. And I think Dune is not this kind of story. And so those depth and layers are part of what have, have made it difficult to translate into film, which requires a lot of condensation to, to get things to be tight and fit into two to three hours. And I also think TV watchers have different expectations than film goers. And I think this story is really well suited to that long, longer format, especially say, you know, Game of Thrones, which is heavily political and has a lot of political intrigue and has really proven that it can be done well in that longer space where you don't have to rush things. So 
I would love to see a, a longer series format of Dune at some point. Yeah, and in, in addition to being able to cover most of the events that were in the book, uh, the miniseries actually did expound on roles of some characters like Princess Irulan, and to a lesser extent, we got to see a bit more of uh, Raban, especially how, how he meets his end. Um, although the, the former uh, came at the expense of Lady Margot not being in the, in the miniseries at all. Um, in your view, did these additions serve um, to improve the storytelling, or do you have any criticism on how they, they were handled? Well, from the perspective of having an increased role for women, I am I was fully on board with Princess Arulon being being expanded out. Um, I think it's hard to adapt her role as the, the writer of the epigraphs that come at the beginning of every chapter. Although the miniseries did still keep her as a narrator by having her introduce each part of the miniseries and close it out. I think she is a good, believable bridging figure in the miniseries between the different houses. So House Atreides, House Harkonnen, and the Imperial household. She appears across all of them in the story. And she helps as a guide for the audience with the complicated political situation. And when we as the audience see her discussing concepts and she's working things out, that helps move the story along without having to have, say, something like a voiceover, which can be a bit clunky um, on the, in the film or television medium. Uh, so I liked, I liked her expanded role, and I think it was still grounded in um, what the book has to say about her. Raban, I think, is helpful in giving the audience a better idea of why the Harkonnen are so hated. Like it's kind of just alluded to in the book that they're villainous and that they do lots of bad things to the Fremen and hunt them down. And I think it gives, gives us as, as audience a satisfying sense of karma that you know, he mistreated the Fremen and then he gets his, his, his end um, at the hands of the Fremen. Um, but I think also in terms of politically, seeing him be a puppet of his uncle really helps reinforce the craftiness of the Baron and how he really just doesn't care about, say, disposing of his nephew because he has picked his other nephew that he wants to, to lift up. Um, and I think instead of expanding on battle scenes, which Herbert isn't even interested in in the book, the miniseries picks character development to expand on. And I think that that's part of why it stays faithful is because that's what made Dune a really groundbreaking science fiction book because it wasn't just focused on the tech or the gadgets. It really cared about what are characters doing? What are people doing? What are they thinking? Um, so, yeah, I, th I think those were helpful to the storytelling. That, that feels like part of the reason why it was misunderstood in a way because there were some negative reviews. But reading those, it feels like people were expecting Star Wars. <laughs> uh, so they, they didn't know what, what Dune was, was about. So that, that, that makes, uh, makes sense in a way. <laughs> Yeah, Star Wars has always been a problem for Dune, so I did. I did have to cover that. <laughs> in your book, I really enjoyed the concept of compression, correction, and updating that you used for analysing the free adaptations. Uh, for you, what were the most uh, noteworthy instances of this across the free uh, adaptations that you thought were clever, off the mark, or just plain weird? Okay, my the one I find the strangest is that the directors really seem interested in showing the guild navigators and the folding of space. Like, they just want to spend time expanding on that aspect when it's barely even in the book. <laughs> and to me, that meant that they're spending time on that and then they're having to compress other parts of the story that I think are more important and interesting. I don't, I don't know what it is about that. Like, we need to show what folding space looks like. And... And maybe it was about trying to have more traditional science fiction elements in the story um, or just 
having the opportunity to visualize it. But to me, that was really the opposite of compression and it didn't add to the story. And I, I don't know why they, they thought that was really worth spending time on. Um, but, but I thought that in terms of updating, I thought the turning Princess Urulan into a character who doesn't just show up at the end, taking her, her writings from the book and turning her into a fully fledged character was, was uh, a way to give her a role without, without strictly adhering to what was in the book. Um, and then I also thought it was interesting how Lynch showed a way that Dr. Yui would communicate with the Harkonnen through the messages and the bodies. I mean, that was, again, a kind of weird element that he really liked, but I thought it was a clever way of kind of trying to show how might, how might he have been a traitor. It was something that was kind of a little unique addition. Apparently, uh, the original version of that we've cut down was a, a lot more gruesome and uh, very typical Lynch uh, obsession with uh, bodies and blood and textures. Uh, that footage seems to be lost, but you know, you never know it might turn up. Getting into Dune part one from Denis Villeneuve, personally, um, when this project kind of came to, together, when Villeneuve was announced that he was going to be uh, directing it, I had a vague knowledge of Dune. I had heard of Dune, but I'd never seen either of the prior adaptations and Really, my excitement was built through the fact that I was a fan of Villeneuve and his prior films, and I'm a big science fiction cinema fan in general. Uh, and just knowing how big and influential this franchise has been, you know, from the books to these prior adaptations, um, that was really all I needed to kind of dive into it. And I think it was around the time Chalamet was cast is when I first read the novel. And, uh, and I kind of learned more about, I feel, the world of Dune and... Uh, what the adaptation was going to be like as they were kind of really piecing it together with casting and getting ready for production and whatnot. So um, I've had a very kind of like personal, but really a film fan centric kind of way to get into this franchise. Um, and I think part of that for me that I've still kind of he been hesitant or struggled to kind of embrace in these prior adaptations, I actually haven't seen either of them still up to this point. I do want to watch the, the Lynch adaptation after part two comes out just so I can have that full kind of comparison and, and get the full story from Villeneuve before I watch Lynch's version. Um, but obviously one of the things that makes this so unique is that it is a full-blown split of the novel between two films, theatrical releases. Um, and as you noted, part one is stops roughly two-thirds of the way through the novel. Um, and while you were researching and writing um, about each of these adaptations, and you've already voiced you know, on, on the talk today, kind of your feelings one way versus the other, but um, were you more or less convinced after going through this process about how splitting the novel into multiple films would be the best way to approach a cinematic adaptation? We know the television was kind of three parts, four and a half hours roughly, um, but as far as bringing it to the big screen, how, how do you feel now, um, at least before part two comes out? I think it's still very challenging to make a film out of Dune. This is very much, um, as, as people have commented, uh, it's about people thinking and talking and analyzing and politics and not so much necessarily uh, cinematic action and, and driven things. Um, of course, depending on what type of cinema you're talking about. So it's not necessarily the kind of story that lends itself to the type of cinema that we're often familiar with today. I think it demands a longer attention span than perhaps um, people are used to. That said, if it's going to be translated to film, I think the length of the book 
really needs more than one film. And I think the Lynch film really, really showed that to be able to cover the material and include the characters without completely rushing the story. You just need time without having to sacrifice a significant portion of the book. But then the challenge, if you're going to have multiple films, is having a story arc for each film while still holding to the events in the book because the book has a certain arc over it. And so when you split it up, then you have to try to have each film kind of stand alone while still covering a full story arc from the book. And so I thought it was really an interesting decision that the new film takes a two-thirds, one-thirds approach, and it looks like the one-third is going to actually be longer than the two-thirds. So I'm interested, I'd be interested to see what the decision-making was behind how to carve it up and how, how much time to give um, a smaller portion versus the, the first portion. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And I certainly would be curious to hear your thoughts after you see part two uh, on that, on that point. Um, and then kind of what Mark was getting at in terms of the different weird things or choices, uh, adjustments and things like that. Um, I like how you did talk at length about adjustments between the novel and especially doing part one. Um, what is the biggest adjustment that you did not prefer to the book? Um, and which of the adjustments did you think worked out better in respect to adapting the source material for the film medium and kind of why? Um, because for me personally, I love the book. I've read it a couple of times. I'm, I'm on my third read right now um, before part two comes out. And I love the novel and I love movies and I love Dune part one, but I, I don't, there are certain things about the novel that I do wonder about or like wish were handled differently from maybe Chani and like her characterization being a little more shallow, I think, versus Dr. Yui and the conditioning element of that and how it can be broken by just taking a hostage, basically. Um, some of those interesting plot points and decisions that I think are fine in retrospect, but I'm curious for you just reading part, uh, reading the novel and then seeing part one, something that you really didn't prefer versus something that you were like, oh, I, I kind of like how they did that differently. Yeah, I, I would say for me, I mean, I have, I have thoughts about how the Benedictines are handled, but I would say to me, I thought the, the extreme adjustment of the character of Baron Harkonnen was really shocking to me, what they did with that character. And I, I feel like they neutralized him as a character but quite significantly from the book. In the book, he's a very Machiavellian, crafty villain. Um, in the film, he's really just a stereotypical bald bad guy and, you know, who kind of mumbles almost incoherently. And I thought it was almost a reversal of what Lynch did. The Lynch made the Baron so interesting and entertaining as a villain, even though he did it in a way that also deviated from the book. And so I feel like the new film maybe was trying to go far away from that. But in so doing, it took out some of the political intrigue and the play between House Atreides and House Harkonnen from the book that's really enjoyable as a reader to see him kind of plotting and crafting and 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 just being a, a lot more articulate villain, I guess, um, than they made him in the movie. On the flip side, something that I thought um, was not in a book, but translated well to film in, in terms of how they adapted it was the scene where Paul steps out onto the sand when they're trying to rescue the workers from the spice harvester. Um, in the book, he's just in the ornithopter the whole time. It'd be quite dangerous mm -hmm. for him to actually get out. It was already dangerous for them to land. But I thought how the film did it is in a really compact way. It connected his visions with the spice. It showed him kind of 
sort of connecting with an approaching sandworm, maybe recognizing the sandworm from his visions. And then also knowing that Gurney was coming up behind him, having a little bit of wordplay from the book about, you know, footsteps old man. And I thought that was a really um, a good way of taking things from the book and, and adding a bit of um, clever um, cinematic effect to them, even though uh, he doesn't step outside of the book. In, <laughs> in the, so, so he doesn't step outside in the, in the book. And then also, um, I really like the depiction of the ornithopter. That's a really memorable piece of tech <laughs> in the book. And they've always struggled with it because Herbert describes it as an aircraft that beats its wing like a bird. And the the people making the films have always thought, well, how do we make it not just look silly, kind of flapping around? And I thought taking the approach of making it like a dragonfly or a hummingbird that the new film did. And the wings are beating, but they're beating so fast. That it's actually quite impressive. It's definitely not silly at all, but it still connects with the natural world. Um, in nature mm-hmm. and then having them be able to fold the wings fold up and dive especially like in a sandstorm <laughs> i thought was just really really impressive way of adapting um, herbert's vision in the book to something that with new cgi technology really just really came to life visually thank you for your thoughts i think i definitely hear you on both those points and with the baron in particular i feel i'm curious as to how they would have approached that character had lynch's version not existed I think that they, I think you're right in saying that maybe they really wanted to go just a totally opposite and like toned down version, you know, for better or worse. Um, and then having just rewatched part one, seeing the harvester scene again in IMAX, (laughs) I totally agree. And I had just read that scene in the novel, uh, prior to seeing the movie again. So I really brought to, to point how different they kind of are and how it's not, you know, is action based and how they have a lot of fun kind of, uh, tools to use in the cinematic form in terms of the sound and the, the wordplay and things like that. So, um, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And speaking about updates, um, for, for this movie, you mentioned how some of these were potentially done to appeal more to modern audiences or bring in more representation. Like we had uh, Chani, she opens the movie and we get to see the Fremen perspective right at the beginning. And we had, of course, all the changes to Liet Kine's, uh, character. And uh, you also mentioned about how there's actually less uh, of the Arabic influences uh, when it comes to the Fremen. There's not even, you know, that unified accent. So we don't really have the sense of a cohesive uh, culture. So just taking a couple of those examples, in what way do you feel these changes maybe overlooked key elements of those characters or could have even taken away from some of the underlying themes? Yeah, so I think there were well-intentioned changes, but as someone who studies the book, I think they, they end up undermining some of the book's perspective character, Paul, um, as well as the mystery about the Fremen and messages about religion and Western science, I think, are also harder to get with this change. So from Herbert's perspective, he really wanted readers to identify with Paul. He wanted you to get sucked into seeing Paul as the good guy, even though he's being quite manipulative and, and wanting to seize power. And then seeing how his visions end up trapping him on this really quite dark path. So the way the, the new film sets up the Fremen to be quite disdainful of the incoming rulers and, and sets up Paul to be, he's almost seems like allergic to harvesting the spice or gaining power, or gaining wealth. I think that those make it more challenging to line up with the themes from the book. And Having, having Leah Kynes be a woman of color, I think it's great from 
from a kind of a general perspective, but when you see the role of that character in the book, it's really about trying to criticize Western science and this idea that we can just study nature and control it from the outside. And so I think the film turns Leah Kynes into more of a kind of community hero among the Fremen and, and loses that ecological scientific element, um, which the book is quite known for. And so I think if they would have had more time, they could have developed Leah Kynes into more of a scientist and, and had more of that message about be careful about science. It, it's kind of its own religion in a way, um, but they didn't didn't have a whole lot of that ecological element to work with. And in, in terms of the Arabic influences, I think, I mean, you can see this is still a touchy subject, especially in the U.S. It would have tied it closer to the book to have more of them. Um, Paul doesn't seem quite as much of a Lawrence Arabia figure in the first part of the film. And again, I think this this takes away from the the message about be careful about leaders that comes through in the book, although that might come through in the second part. Um, in terms of the accent, I really didn't understand why they didn't go with the unified accent. For for me, that that takes it out for me in terms of the world building process. Like, you know, really in any film, if the if the people's accents don't match each other, even like within the family, I'm always surprised. Like the Lynch film has the same thing. Like ev everyone in the Chinese family has a different accent. And I'm like, is that realistic? <laughs> You um you talked earlier about the female characters in the adaptations, and I'm just wondering, in your view, which of these three adaptations uh, did the best job of representing the book's strong female characters, particularly the Bene Gesserit? Yeah, I'd say hands down miniseries. I think Jessica is the close closest to the book in the miniseries. She does all the things like she's authoritative, she's political, she gives you know, political tips at the banquet, and, and the ministers had the banquet scene. Also, um, she's always guiding Paul. She's, she uses her fighting and voice skills, but she doesn't overdo it. And I think the Benny Gensera as a whole seem very like nuns, very kind of, you know, cloaking themselves in religion. And she respects them and she's part of them, but she's not terrified of them. And so I, I don't, they don't come across as evil or malicious um like they do in some of the other the other versions i think um lynch didn't really seem to care much about the women's characters you know he made them bald which is kind of a weird choice and jessica really has nothing to say for most of the second half of the film so that's totally unlike what happens in the book and the new film had you know has some moments where jessica um seems like you know, a strong character who matches the book, but then she's also um, kind of killing and she's showing more emotion. And so it, it, it seems like it's struggling to kind of, to show women um, as, as like a strong maternal figure and, and how they, in terms of the Bene Gesserit as a whole in the new film, seem quite menacing, possibly evil, especially if you haven't read the book. Um, very dark, like whispers, chanting, and then having them meet with the Harkonnen I, that that to me just it just didn't align with the books very well. So I think the miniseries to me is about the closest in terms of the Benny Gesserit, which is a hard group to to pin down. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, there are a tricky uh, bunch of characters even in the book. The the true motives are often concealed. Um, so trying to represent that on film, I can see, is very challenging. Some good observations there.
I think Herbert was too subtle. I have to say, like, I really love Dune, but I think for some of the points Herbert was trying to make, it was a little too subtle, like just seeing how many people missed, you know, missed the missed the message. Like he maybe could have just like dialed up a little bit, but something's a little bit more obvious to the readers would get the thing that he wanted them to get out of it. Yeah, but particularly for people who don't read beyond the, the first Dune book, some of those messages are, as you say, a little bit too subtle, maybe. Yep. So, um, Kara, after having dived uh, deep into all these three adaptations, I'm really interested to hear what an ideal adaptation would look like in your mind. And also, uh, what are your biggest hopes for, for future adaptations of Dune, whether it's a Dune prophecy that's coming up or whatever lies behind that? As we talked about, I think an ideal adaptation really needs the longer form television series like Game of Thrones, um, which was really really groundbreaking, uh, at least for fantasy, in terms of showing that you can have a successful, long, drawn-out story in sci-fi and fantasy genre. I think that would allow for slower development of things like the political intrigue, the buildup of Paul, so he's not going so quickly from being kind of this young nobleman into a messiah figure among among the Fremen, because there are years that pass between them in the book. I think there would be an opportunity to open up those ecological and environmental messages that I think would really resonate well um, with people today. And I think it's always a good idea, but especially now highlighting opportunities for cross-cultural communication, showing conflict happening, but maybe some, some resolution of the conflict or the, the pitfalls that we could avoid. And, and I also think um, it could highlight the mind-body connection and the kind of mental abilities and you know, maybe tastefully deal with the kind of drug component because we're we're still learning about those things today. We still don't know a whole lot about the brain and how those things work. And I think those those need more time than a short, you know, the shorter medium of film um, has to offer. In terms of my biggest hopes, I'd love to see more women involved in these adaptations, um, whether in front of the camera or behind the camera. I think it does make a difference from having you know, having more perspectives to, to give input on things. Um, and I'd like to see adaptations not be afraid to tackle the deeper themes and messages that are in the Dune series, like power and politics and religion and government and, and those cautionary tales that Herbert was really interested in. I think, yeah, it can be a, it can be a challenge to put those on screen and you are going to get pushed back, but those are part of what make Dune relevant and, and interesting. And those, those were really what I think Herbert wanted people to get out of it underneath the kind of adventure storyline. So I, I would love to see some some bravery in tackling some of those things because I think they're, they're really important for us to to talk about. And, and cultural, you know, film and television are a great way to, to talk about tricky, thorny subjects um, in a maybe safer way. I think that was the perfect conclusion, right? <laughs> uh. I just want to say one more thing, Kira. I... I really want to believe that the depth and complexity and the themes uh, in, in the original Dune uh, novel, I think this is not the last, Villeneuve is not going to be the last one to adapt this, this story. I really think this resonates with, with large audiences, all different cultures. I think there's just so much here that people are fascinated to explore and, and experience. 
that I, I think there's going to be more versions of this, whether it's in, in the way your ideal was to have a much longer form, uh, uh, maybe television series or, or something along those lines. But, and, and that's, I think at the essence of why this is one of my favorite novels, because it's like everyone says, you kind of discover something new each time you read. And I think that is what will lend itself to be adapted uh, more in the future. Yeah, there's there's lots of different angles that you could take while still tethering it to the book story. Um, it'll be interesting to see where part two takes the, you know, the opening, the changed opening didn't really seem to materialize elsewhere in part one. So it'll be interesting to see um, if that kind of get bookended in part two or the reason why they chose to make that that shift. And I think the success, um, I, I'm just going to predict that part two is going to be a huge blockbuster success is, is more and more people are exposed to the, to the books, more and more people are exposed to the universe, uh, Herbert's universe. And I just think it's going to attract, uh, people with all kinds of different various creative talents, uh, to come to the table. I, I love your idea of having more women involved in a, in a further adaptation, uh, a woman director, I think would be really fascinating to, to have the right perspective because, uh, the, the, the role of women is so prominent in this story and that was, that was intentional and it's, it's exciting. Um, and, and that wasn't maybe as, uh, emphasized in either of the, or all three of the adaptations as much as maybe I would have preferred. So I just think there's, there's a lot more coming. Yeah, the Dune Prophecy miniseries, the first two or three episodes, I think, are being directed by a woman. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, particularly with its focus on the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, they're a really fascinating group, I think, too. And there's, they are so mysterious. Like, Herbert just sort of drops little hints here and there, and you think <laughs> you know them, and then you go back and you're like, oh, I, that wasn't actually anywhere in the book. Like I just, you know, you built that world yourself and your imagination and we all do it differently. Um, and and it, sometimes you want more information. Like what was Herbert meaning? Like what was their goal? What were they doing? You know? And, and he doesn't, he doesn't give us that satisfaction. So we have to, we have to speculate ourselves, but that's part of the beauty of the book, right? You, you can take away from it different things. It's not just all obvious. You know, the Bene Gesserit, I think, are going to become such a, uh, infused into our culture with the success of these recent films. Um, I was watching, a, um, the sound of music with my wife and the whole time I, I kept seeing the nuns, all I could think about was the Bene Gesserit. Oh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kara, to your point, I think kind of the feeling or thought I was left with after reading your work and having this discussion is. The novel is so rich, but as you mentioned, Herbert is so subtle in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of, you know, ambiguity in some ways, and he leaves a lot to your imagination, even with as much detail and information that he does pack in to the book. Um, I do think, you know, we've seen two, we saw an older film adaptation. Now we have two newer films that are doing the novel. We have the mini series, we have this HBO series that's going to be happening. That's like an offshoot, um, and a potential Messiah film. So I just think. And, and the stylistic differences and the creative differences and the, the, the way that they brought their own spin on it. I just think it does, you know, just cause there's two, you know, good movies that are coming out right now, potentially. I still think that 
they would be great to have a TV show like a Game of Thrones to do a different stylistic take on it and also expand on some of those key themes and, and elements. And I think that that's, I don't think that's limited, hopefully. And I hope that that's not, you know, um, kind of written off just because of, of these films that we're getting right now. Um, if we can have two quote unquote unsuccessful adaptations or maybe uh, not as popular adaptations, cold adaptations, hopefully we can still get some, I think there's room for multiple successful adaptations, hopefully. Well, the cycle seems to be 20 years, so it might be a while before we get to I'll ask Mary Darby to, uh, to join another uh, Zoom call in 20 years time and we can discuss the latest adaptation. Yeah, and then it'll all just be AI doing it, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. I know yeah. the irony. I know. I think about yeah. that a lot. Um, Here we are. Yeah, I guess the exciting thing about these recent adaptations is that they really, I guess, cause a reawakening of source that we we are hopefully getting Dune Messiah on the, on the big screen and off our TV series. So it, it does feel that we're going to go beyond the story of, of the first book, because of course the first book is, you know, one of my favorite novels, but then what what goes beyond there, there there's so much more to explore in terms of the uh, the, the messages and uh, moving forward. And I, and I know that um, even in some of the interviews, Villeneuve has, has mentioned about how he wants to bring forward some of the themes from Dune Messiah into, into his habitation. So I'm really curious to see how, how he handles the third move. One last question, Kara. What do you think about um, at a, having Villeneuve or, or another director continue with this current series and, and, uh, and, and do Children and, and God Emperor? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think Dune Messiah is going to be tricky because it that book was so different from Dune and and having the downfall of your hero figure um, is hard. Maybe maybe they'll be easier now because we've had quite a few anti-hero films and television shows which have been very popular, like Breaking Bad. Um, I think, well, God Emperor. How do you make God Emperor into a cinematic um, experience? That's that would be a challenge. That's pretty much like a pure philosophy book. Um, I don't know. It's it's making making Herbert's work into cinema. I think is part of what what has been the challenge. Is there were so many attempts to write scripts for it back in the seventies, and they just they just fell over. And I mean. Herbert tried to write a script for his own book and even he like failed. It's like, it's too long. He couldn't cut, you know, he was, he was too precious about things. So I think to, to do the later books would probably have to streamline, but, but there's a lot of elements about, um, religion in those later books that any director is going to, going to really have to tackle if they want to be faithful and, and religion is always a touchy topic. So. That, that I think that would be the biggest challenge is, you know, every book title pretty much has a religious reference, um, you know, Messiah, God, Emperor, um, Chapter House. So engaging with that kind of like Catholic underpinning really would, yeah, I think that would be a challenge to do it in a way that's sensitive, still faithful to the book, relevant to today. Um, it wouldn't be, it's not going to be easy. I think we should have David Lynch come back and do God Emperor. How about that? <laughs> there you go. Well, did you see about the the script that um, that Max Every discovered? Yep. Yeah, he let me read a copy. It was 
I think I think Lynch should have just skipped to do Messiah. I think he would have just loved to do <laughs> Messiah. Like the Talaxu are just made for Lynch. You know, that's just a yeah. match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great discussion, Kara. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always uh, talking to you with you, and uh, thank you for all the insights that you've uh, you've shared today. And uh, yeah, I want to wish you a really great uh, great book launch. Um, before we close, um, where can people find more about you and Adaptations of Dune? And are there any other projects that you want to shout out, whether it's related to Dune or not? Okay. Well, my you can find me at uh, my website, dunescholar.com, and I'm at dunescholar on um, Twitter, X, and Instagram. That book's going to be available on February 5th on, on Amazon as a print book, ebook. I'm also working on an audiobook version. And in terms of future projects, I feel like I will have to write a sequel that covers Dune Part 2, the new film, as well as the other miniseries that was made that adapted Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Um, so, and then I also would like to do a, a full comparative study once the Villeneuve sequence is finished, um, comparing all the adaptations to each other. So that's the future for doing that it's never going to stop <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that okay let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, sign off uh well that was an absolutely great conversation uh, really enjoyed the book really enjoyed the conversation uh if anyone wants to follow me i'm doing info at all the socials thank you so much everyone for tuning in and listening today uh it was fantastic to hear Her's perspective and, and to read her work. Uh, really appreciate her taking the time. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you all enjoyed it as well. Lots of great Dune stuff coming around the corner. So stay tuned. You can find me on social media at Johnny Sobchak. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kara. I, I really love the depth and the details and the understanding you have of, of Frank Herbert's work. And, and I, I always learn something new with whatever you've written or whatever you've talked about. So as a fan, uh, thanks for adding to my experience. This was Marcus, and you can find me uh, at Marcus's Writing. Um, always a pleasure to bring you the latest and greatest from the universe of Dune, whether it's the news, interviews, or reviews. And of course, there's a lot more to come. Till then, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to DuneNewsNet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.